Hello, I'm Alistair. I'm Andrew. I'm Morgan. I'm Flavia. I'm Kate. I'm Yasmin. And I'm Gopika. And this is the Scene From Above podcast, bringing you news and discussion about Earth observation. Follow us on Twitter using at EOSceneFrom or the hashtag SceneFromAbove. This episode, we have a special guest episode for you. This episode, we have Ladies of Landsat and Sisters of SAR. Ladies of Landsat started in 2018, and our mission is to inspire, lift up, and retain underrepresented people in remote sensing and earth observation by increasing our connections and visibilities of our members. And we always welcome scientists and allies of all backgrounds, genders, ages, sexual orientations, ethnicities, social statuses, geographic locations, and abilities. I'll pass it over to Sisters of SAR. We were inspired by the Ladies of Landsat. We began in April 2020, and our mission is similar to the Ladies of Landsat. We want to showcase and promote women in the field of synthetic aperture radar remote sensing. And we also want to showcase SARFACs, all the resources available. But our main mission is to showcase women in our field. Excellent. Thank you. So today is a Sisters of SAR and Ladies of Landsat fusion episode. For this reason, we have invited Dr. Pollyanna Bispo of the University of Manchester because she is an expert in both SAR and optical data fusion. Today, we'll be discussing one of her recent papers, her broader research activities, and her efforts in diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. And for our listeners, today we welcome Dr. Pollyanna da Conceição Bispo, who is a lecturer in the Physical Geography in the School of Environmental Education Development at the University of Manchester in UK, with expertise in earth observation, ecology, and forest modeling. She has been developing some methodologies that rely on multi-sensor and information sources, include few data, SAR, and LIDAR, investigating ecosystem process, forest dynamics, forest disturbing, and forest response to multiple environmental stressors. Among the recognized Earth observation institutions Dr. Poliana worked previously are the National Institute for Space Research in BIM, Brazil, the European Space Agency in Italy, and in the Center for Landscape and Climate Research at the University of Leicester. Poliana is also the founder and chair of the RSAT Group, the Remote Sensing Applied to Tropical Environmental. This group, composed by 12 scientists from Brazil, but are distributed worldwide, working on forests, especially in tropical forests, and who have promoted discussions on equity, diversity, inclusion, within the scientific community. Thanks, Flavia. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Bispo. We're excited to discuss your research and efforts because we see you as an impactful person in the field of remote sensing. First, can you just describe the background of this paper? Um, We have it linked in the resources, how it came to be, and what are the main takeaways you have for our listeners? Okay, first of all, thank you for having me here. Well, talking about this paper was actually part of a project called Forest 2020. It was funded by UK Space Agency, a project that involved different countries. So we did actually the objective of the whole project was to try to support in developing countries to improve their monitoring system already in place or develop the forest monitoring system. So we have some countries involved in this project, institutions from countries like Kenya, Ghana, Indonesia, Brazil, Colombia. Mexico. 
and so on. So this specific paper was developed over Brazil, and the, we tried to basically to develop the first above-ground biomass using multisensor approach in the Brasilia Cerrado. So we quantify the spatial distribution of the wood, actually above-ground biomass, uh, over Brazilian savanna, known as Cerrado, and the spatial resolution of around, of around 30 meters. For these, we basically used Randall Forest machine learning classification. We produce, as I mentioned, the first high-resolution above-ground biomass over Cerrado. We had already some maps over the area, but they are at global level and coarse, and therefore coarse uh, resolution. And in order to achieve this goal, we use field inventories, we use LiDAR data sets, and multi-spectral data sets, Landsat, for example, and Allospulsar, right? the radar the sensor Allospulsar. So uh, basically, we combine these random forest models with statistical analysis. It just enables us to, to best select our remote sensing variables and, uh, and build up this, this model in the map with accuracy of about 90%. We wanted to study Cerrado because it has a great importance in terms of biodiversity and also plays an important role in the carbon balance. And we found in this, in this work that the combination and the data fusion was the most, most effective to estimate the biomass over this biome that is quite complex. It's definitely an incredible paper. There's so much information and fusion and collaboration that went into it, and it was really interesting to read to see all of your work with it. I thought the figure at the end, which showed the increase in fine-scale spatial resolution as you go on from these different studies, was really telling, and it was exciting to see yours compared to all the other ones uh, as you get from coarse spatial resolution down to now 30 meters. Um, yes, Polly. So it's very interesting that you are working with Cerrado because I think the scientific community has always been very focused on the Amazon biome, as we can see, like in many different papers, in nature, science, and so on, and even big projects between all the institutions in the world. But few people know that the Brazilian savanna, as you said, know uh, Cerrado had a great importance on the world stage and principally in the biodiversity, which is also very directly related to deforestation in the Amazon, right? Because they are kind of uh, having a border. Could you explain us why exactly you have chosen this study area and why you have chosen to study biomass? Good question. Thank you, Flavia. So Cerrado covers about 23% of the Brazilian territory and is, as you mentioned, is one of the world's biodiversity hotspots, hosting a large number of um, endemic species and is strongly threatened by human activities. The high rates of deforestation forest degradation in this area made Cerrado the second large uh, source of carbon emissions in Brazil that suffers a lot of fires and, and between all the anthropogenic activities that happen there. So we chosen as our study area, specifically Hill Vermelho watershed, because first of all, we had some uh, knowledge of this specific site that's quite important in order to do the, the experiment. It was uh, essential. We had some field, field plots provided for one of our partners. And these plots were measured exactly at the same year that the airborne LiDAR dataset that you had. Uh, and this data was a free available dataset provided by the, the project Sustainable Landscape Brazil. 
This set of data sets are obtained almost at the same time over the same area allowed us to, to do this experiment. And we have chosen the above ground biomass because basically it's essential uh, climate variable and it's directly associated, as I mentioned before, with the carbon stocks, carbon balance. We did not have above ground biomass map over Cerrado. So this was the main reason why. And although the above ground biomass or carbon stocks in Cerrado uh, is lower than in the Brazilian Amazon, uh, the conversion of Cerrado biome in different types of land use uh, and, and land cover land cover is occurring much faster than the Amazon, mainly because the Brazilian livestock and agriculture is expanding towards this biome over the last decades. And just for you to have idea, an idea, only uh, 3% of the Cerrado is strictly protected by law within conservation areas. So in this context, it's really essential to monitor the biome effectively and, 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 and generate reliable maps to support climate change mitigation and biodiversity conservation policies as well. One of the things I'm most excited about this episode for is that I'm truly a lady of Landsat, but I love Sisters of SAR, but I've only used SAR in a theoretical standpoint. Uh, I've never actually used SAR in an applied way. I'm wondering if you could, you know, broadly explain for folks like myself, maybe some of the pros and cons, the disadvantages of using SAR, and then maybe how you had an instinct to use this data fusion of optical LIDAR and SAR data. Currently, you can find many studies integrating different types of remote sensing data sets, especially within this context of the new, the new era of big data, artificial intelligence, and the development of new techniques in a speed that we, we have never seen before, right? So basically, we have a privilege to, to have opportunity to, to, to work with this data and, and use this technology at this time in history to make science, right? So the reason why uh, there is a tendency to use this multi-sensor approach is because of each type of data sets have the, their advantages and limitations. For instance, the optical remote sensing is more sensitive to biophysical and chemical properties of the target. In fact, uh, you can investigate vegetation health, for example, take into consideration the leaf pigmentation, uh, just an example here. On the other hand, uh, optical data sets are sensitive to atmospheric conditions, cloud cover. Another thing is that these images, they, they just can be acquired during the day because of the dependency of the radiation from, from the sun as source of energy that interacts with the target and, come and reflects back to the sensor. Uh, in the case of SAR, SAR is sensitive to the geometry of the target, forest structure, for instance, uh, water content, and so on. And besides this, uh, SAR images can, can be acquired day and night because it generates their own, the, the sensor generates their own source of energy. The limitation of SAR is basically the complexity of the data processing. You need to have some skills, knowledge, you know exactly what you are doing, how you interpret these images, how, how do all the processing. Another thing, these images can be affected by distortions promoted by, for example, topography conditions, and between other, other things like speckle, that is the salt and pepper noise that you have in the images. But the main point here is that the combination of the advantages of both SAR and optical is expected to provide the highest accuracy and low uncertainty in, in the estimations. 
And these advantages of SAR in, in a biome, for example, like, like Cerrado, that has a, this, again, this gradient, the high complexity of forest structure, uh, it's very beneficial. It's a wonderful answer and a great sales pitch for SAR and I think data fusion in general, where I think we're at an exciting time for accessibility of these technologies. I would like to, well, to congratulate this amazing study. It's really nice. I think I was with you a little bit during the process of this study and it was really nice to learn also with you so many things. One thing that I think is very important in, in any kind of biomass study that is getting so many attention these days is about the ground truth data and the difficulties we have in terms of acquiring this data set. And uh, you have this, this approach of using uh, LiDAR technologies to, to derive the, the ground truth data. Could you explain a little bit more in detail how did you use like the LiDAR data as ground truth. And also, just to add something, do you think it would be possible uh, like as a solution to deal with this lack of field data in large biomes such as the Cerrado, Cerrado biome in Brazil? Thank you, Yasmin. Well, at the moment, the most of the field work in Cerrado, I mean, field work in Cerrado is, is very challenging. Again, because of this complex, this very dry environment and, and the vegetation, you have a, a lot of understore as well in this area. So in our particular study, we only had available over our site 15 field plots that was collected by the group of, led by Dr. Sabrina Couto from the University State of Goiás in Brazil. These 15 plots, they were representative of this savanna forest formation and the transition between the savanna and forest formation in there, basically. And this amount of plots are not enough. So an alternative, then we thought, what is the alternative that we could use to increase the samples over this area? So coincidentally, we had a lighter footprint over the, the area covered there at the same time that our field plots. And these plots, they were very representative of this wood vegetation with biomass going between 19 megagrams per hectare until 104 megagrams per hectare. And as the lighter point clouds, very sensitive to forest structure and can support us to, to really understand and, and estimate this in, in a more accurate way, we have used these plots that could express the physical and structural variation of the vegetation in this third side. And we use this method, the two stage ones that was from the field to LIDAR, to the LIDAR, to the earth observation. We extrapolate and the values over this 19 megagrams per hectare were the most reliable. So I believe, yes, if we have a large coverage of LIDAR over Cerrado, it would be quite beneficial in terms of probably we reduce the, the amount of field plots that we would be established in, 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 the, in, the, in these areas, in these complex areas. I still think that is necessary. We have field plots. However, they need to be distributed over some areas that are quite representative of the full biome to enable us to extrapolate for large coverage. And we didn't test, for example, Jedi yet, that is has this large coverage. 
This would be hopefully our next step together with the colleagues from, from IPAN and University of Leicester as well. Nice. Really, really interesting. Now that I'm very interested about Cerrado, actually, study area, you as a Brazilian and also Yasmin here and I here, lately we have seen a lot of colonization of science, actually a lot, principally in academia, where we see a lot of papers published in big journals uh, talking about, let's say, give an example, Amazon, and we don't see any Brazilian or any local community involved in this study. Talking about this a little bit more, the, the involvement of these local communities. How do you think that researchers and also company, the private sector, could involve more the local communities in these forest studies? This is a very, very important uh, question. So when you are going to this, these regions to do field work, I mean, it's extremely important to involve communities and try uh, to, to reflect beforehand on how you can bring benefit to them. For instance, when I'm planning to go to, to the field work, I always look to hire local people and explicitly show to them what I'm doing, why I am doing, and get them involved in the work as well, showing the final results. I believe that field work is an opportunity to, to understand the reality of these local communities, to promote uh, the exchange knowledge that's essential to this relationship for everyone. Sharing knowledge can increase the, the, the socio-environmental awareness of the researchers involved and broaden the, the perception of local residents about the environmental heritage of the region where they live providing support to locally build a community with a better education, more environmental conscious, and, and towards a more sustainable development of the area. And it's important that both research and local community benefit, again, from this interaction. It's important to highlight that. Amazing. So many case studies are always done in Mato Grasso and they're just from folks in wherever USA and never involve anyone in the community. And it just, it misses so much that like your research, I always really admire. It adds so much more information and depth to the analysis. And it's so important to include everyone's perspective like that. Um, and it, it really brings us to your recent research endeavor, the R State Research Group, which I see as the all-star kind of group, Brazilian scientists, earth observation scientists from both industry and academia. Can you describe for us your organization? ERSAT, it was a project that uh, I was thinking for a long, long time. And then I thought, okay, now is the moment. <laughs> ERSAT stands for Remote Sensing Applied to Tropical Environments. And, and as you mentioned, we are like this 12 Brazilian scientists work in different uh, areas. And our idea uh, is bring together different talents to answer relevant questions related to tropical ecosystems using geotechnologies. So the group started doing our co concerns really with the futures of the tropical biomes, especially in countries where political and socioeconomic conflicts are predominant. Just an example, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Indonesia, and, and so on, Ghana, for example. Besides this, we are also strongly committed with the quality, diversity, and inclusion as one of the core of our discussions and values as a group, uh, as well as a scientific topic that we are uh, exploring as well. Basically, what links all of us is the genuine love for the forests and our willing to actively take our responsibility as scientists and educators as well. And the main fact that motivated us, it was this exponential treat that uh, our 
tropical forests are suffering, especially in the Amazon, in the last 10 years. So as a scientist, you have this responsibility to not only produce the science and disseminate the, the knowledge, but also to stand, uh, to stand for what our findings are showing us, that's, that is the forests that are collapsing, that speed at uh, which we are losing biodiversity is quite scary and dramatic. And as scientists, we should be very accommodated, <laughs> very quiet, uh, and constantly reflecting ways to make difference and, and what we can do to help to reverse this situation, but in an active way. Just as an example of how things are getting out of the hands is the dismantling that is happening in the science in Brazil. For example, the National Institute for Space Research, EP, which is the inter internationally recognized for its forest monitoring system, has suffered a significant cut in funding that will affect the deforestation monitoring system of the Cerrado, for example. It's collapsing at the moment. We had the revision of the Brazilian Forest Code, some actions from the current government to legalize mining in the Amazon, legalization of high-dangerous pesticides for human health, among other decisions and actions taken by these political leaders who basically are ruining the environmental, um, the environmental while they are denying science and ignoring the importance of forest biodiversity and indigenous populations and their traditional knowledge. So now is an urgent time for us to act as humanity, to try to mitigate and, and, and perhaps reverse some of the destruction. This is the overview, what RSAT is committed to. So a more sustainable for future and fair science. And, it, and I hope that's not a cliche, but is what we genuinely care for. And this is why we, Sisters of Sa, are extremely proud that we had the opportunity to feature you as a SASTA on our SASTA <laughs> Friday feature. <laughs> and this paper and all your efforts regarding diversity, inclusivity, representation, a sustainable remote sensing future, all of it, it just shows how bright your work and research shines. And this is why you truly deserve it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So you've been living, studying and working abroad for a while now. We'd like to know a little bit about your journey and experience. What is it like to be a female scientist in Brazil? What is it like to be a Brazilian scientist in the UK? And here's one that is especially personal to me. What is it like to be a woman of color in science? I cannot answer uh, this question without touching on the fact that being a woman, Black, from a working class background, an immigrant, brings challenges that are much harder. So contextualizing Brazil, for example, in Brazil, for instance, uh, although 60% of the population are Black, less than 3% occupied leadership positions uh, in there. Bringing a little bit of my own experience, uh, even though my parents are from the work class backgrounds and both of them didn't have opportunity to complete the primary school, because of their wisdom and the immense love and hard work, my assemblies and I were the first between our entire family and relatives to get a higher education degree. However, we, we were just able to do that because we got positions in public universities and, and where through our hard work, we got university fellowships, uh, which allow us to maintain our studies and day-to-day -day needs. So, and here I, I should thank uh, the Brazilian society that uh, through its efforts, maintain a large network of public universities where students can 
study without paying for it. And, and this is the reason why I believe that I believe and defend strongly that opportunities for education and professional development needs to be available to everyone. So everyone has the right to shine and, and express his or her best potential. But here I need to say as well <laughs> that there is a contradiction in Brazilian high education system where with the very competitive process to assess these public universities, people with a better economic conditions end up getting these positions and poor people end up doing private universities where they need to work during the day and do the private university in the evenings. So the government um, used to provide, for example, fellowships or funding uh, to support poor students to get uh, positions in the, in the universities. But uh, again, there was a huge cut from the government recently to high education, and this impacted strongly and negatively, both public and private universities. So this is a tragedy, really. Another point, in Brazil, there is a massive structural racism and machism that comes from unconscious uh, mindset that uh, diminished women and Black opinions and positionings as well. So this reflects massively in the career progression, leadership positions that we have in place as I mentioned, 3% only of Black people, they are in leadership positions. Uh, I believe that things will change, are changing a bit and we're going to change more because of this young generation. There's this multicolor, beautiful people from Black to the white spectrum working towards these this changes. And I believe that this will progress positively um, in terms of equality, diversity, and inclusion in the society from the, the years coming. Uh, my challenges abroad was very similar of my challenges in Brazil too. Uh, however, living abroad had some other barrier, extra barriers. One of them is the language. <laughs> I always wanted to study abroad and I was always very curious and had this dream to become a scientist abroad, being part of the international community. But I only speak my mother tongue that was Portuguese. <laughs> And I had uh, a co-supervisor, I remember. He was essential in, in, in my professional life. During my PhD, Professor João Roberto dos Santos, he said that, that I could try to go uh, abroad and learn English abroad. And according to him, I had a scientific background and I could learn other languages if I go abroad. He was so convinced, so convinced that I end up <laughs> going to apply and, and get in this position in the, in, as international fellow research at the European Space Agency in Italy. And during that time, with a bad English and knowing a, a word, any word in Italian. So <laughs> I arrived there and uh, for four months, I didn't speak with anyone until met some Portuguese and, and Spanish colleagues who, who leaded me to, to overcome this fear and start to speak. With this experience, I improved the skills of the language, I learned Italian, and, uh, but I still struggle a little bit with, the, with this, the language barrier. And another difficulty here, besides the language, is also this, this challenge is also shared with other colleagues from in developing countries living abroad. That is that you need to prove yourself when you arrive in a new place. You need to work harder to prove to yourself first and to your colleagues as well, that you are good enough and you deserve the place where you are, that you belong that, to that place. 
Thanks, Polly. Wow, that it's really incredible to hear your journey. It's really remarkable how you managed to do such great scientific work while overcoming so many obstacles thrown at you. And this is something that uh, a lot of the scientific world forget, that uh, people of color are constantly facing so many obstacles while doing their regular work, their scientific work. And it's really, truly remarkable how you've managed everything you have. Probably like we could talk to you for a day. There's just so much to talk about everything that you're doing. Like you, you really are just breaking so many barriers. And it's just, it's such an honor for us to, to know you and to talk to you and to not just about this incredible, technically difficult, your papers blow my mind when I read them. Like they're just incredible <laughs> what you're doing. But then also all of these efforts that you have for truly making the field more inclusive. I hope you take time to rest too, because it seems like you're on all the time. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you, Morgan. I mean, it's like, this is something that you want to do what you love, right? And you want to share what you love and you want to bring people on board as well. I think this is what motivates me and I believe motivates people from the underrepresentative groups as well to sometimes work hard. Wonderful. I think you're just such a representative person through your research and your efforts. I, I just first would like to say that you're such an inspiration. I don't know if you realize that all your work is amazing and you have this also amazing project called Diversifica. Could you tell us a little bit more about it? I decided to create this project uh, Diversifica based again in my in my life experience, being part of the minorities, right? The underrepresented group. So again, as you know, I carry these many characteristics. <laughs> and based uh, on that, I truly believe that, that we need to fight against unconscious bias. And we only can win this fight by giving visibility and voice to these underrepresented groups, to these minorities. If I ask you to quick imagine and visualize an astronaut, but quick, an astronaut, a head couple, and a CEO of a company. So your mind and your brain will never associate a black woman as astronaut, a head couple as two men, and a blind person as a CEO of an amazing high-tech company, for example. Why does it happen? This happened because we, we are not exposed to this type of reality. So this is not visible. It is not common for us. So that's why. So to fight against bias, we need to be inclusive. And this inclusion needs to be intentional, needs to be intentional and strategic. Where everyone, for example, have a visibility and voice. Besides that, it's important to to promote uh, this EDI in, in our professional spaces, this is already proven to be very beneficial in terms of productivity, creativity, and economically leads to increase the profit of companies, institutions. So uh, being inclusive is a conscious practice, is a behavioral practice that you need to bring to your day-to-day life. So this Diversifica, which had an initial phase funded by the Seed Social Responsibility Catalytic Project, has as a core a sub-project or, or a website, let's say, a website page or a smart data bank entitled UMAIN. The, the acronym means You May Act for Inclusion. And the main purpose is to create connection between companies and people from different backgrounds, providing them with access to job, job opportunities. 
So the first phase was uh, basically to, to, to build this tool. And at the moment, we're also working on tools to achieve employers' education about diversity and inclusion and to provide employees, possible potential employees, with an environment where they can be open about their characteristics. And since the conception, the project was involving underrepresented groups. So we are a very small team formed by BAME, LGBT, and representatives for the disability communities as well. Yeah, basically the project is being developed under this universal uh, design concept, and it come to a long way. However, much more can be done. It's really amazing the work you do. Like You mentioned a word that is just in my mind in the beginning of your response that was like actively act. That is what we all should do because we have seen so many passive acts. People should definitely reach out to you if they want to collaborate and sponsor any of your activities and all of your activities. There's so much going on. And I just have to draw the parallel between all of your active efforts in the field, building upon passive efforts. You know, it's like you're bringing together active and passive remote sensing. You're just like the multi-source fusion in every aspect of your life and your work. It's goofy, but it's just an analogy for our, our groups and for what we should be doing in the field. You know, there's one line in your paper at the end in the discussion that there's an improvement in accuracy using the combination of SAR and optical data sets rather than using either one individually. So I thought it was a good reminder for our listeners to remember that we're stronger together, whether that means using multi-source data for biomass estimates or in our work to make the field of remote sensing more inclusive. So yeah, thank you, Polly, <laughs> for reminding us all of that. <laughs> oh, thank you all for having me here as well. It was a pleasure and I was super happy with this opportunity, yeah. We're not testing you, we're not grading you on these responses. Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.